Good morning, second service. Yep. Hey, you know what I love about right now is I said it first service, and I was super excited to say it first service. I'm going to say it again this service. I love seeing this many people in the room. First service was packed too. I love it. This is great. You know what this tells me? We are getting back to church in person, and I love every bit of it. But online, we love you too. We know we still have that relationship as well, so I'm glad you're joining us. But this morning, I'm excited to dive into the Word and continue our series. Before I do that, I want to give you a little bit of a recap. Last week, Pastor Nate started our series, The Road. It is our Easter series, The Path to Redemption. And we started that with the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan. This week, I'm talking about what follows that up right away. Jesus going into the wilderness and being tempted, and then a little bit of foreshadowing. Next week, we're going to fast forward three years and go right into the last week of Jesus' life going into Jerusalem. But the reason why we decided to focus on these first two weeks of the baptism of Jesus and the temptations is it's really important to know certain qualities of Jesus going in to the Easter series, all right? So that's what we're doing. That's how we've done it. Before I dive into the Word... Let's pray one more time. Bow with me. Heavenly Father, God, we're just so thankful we can gather in your house this morning, God. May the Holy Spirit move. May it be your words and not mine, for yours are wise. God, may we just take from the pages of Scripture what you want our hearts to hear. And may we impact our communities, wherever that may be, with the word of you. Pray us on your name. Amen. I want you guys to know that we're going to be in the book of Luke most of today. Luke chapter 4 to be factual, all right? So if you want to get your Bible out, if you're old school, that's fine. You can go to the YouVersion app, go on there, or it'll be on the screen. I will let you know, if you're on the YouVersion app, and if I think you've logged on to the Illinois game that just tip-off was two minutes ago, I will say something. Don't think that I'm, I, I, have, I have no shame. I will call you out. If they're losing, say it out loud so we all know. Okay. Let's dive into scripture this morning. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says this, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. All right, so and to talk about this text we're talking about this morning, we're diving into the temptations of Jesus from Satan. And as we do this, we need to know that word tempted, what temptation actually means. That word means the desire to have or do something, especially something wrong. So the desire to have or do something, especially something wrong. Before we dive into this entire story and we walk through these three temptations back to back to back, we need to have a couple facts. Let's start with what the main character, the main character who's Jesus. Fact number one about Jesus we need to know. He is the Messiah. Fact number one about Jesus, he is the Messiah. We know that from last week as Jesus is baptized, God ordains him. We hear that from the sky, spirit descends. We know that he is the Messiah. We know that from the Old Testament as well. The next thing we need to know, he was full of the spirit. That's black and white right on the text from Luke. It says, hey, and led by the Spirit, full of the Spirit as he's going into the wilderness. The third thing we need to know about Jesus is he fasted for 40 days with wild animals. Now that one I need to break down for a couple seconds. First off, fasted for 40 days. This wasn't completely unheard of, but 
When we talk about fasting, sometimes in our American Christian culture, we really don't grasp fasting. Because you might be thinking, oh, Jesus for 40 days sat on his couch, had some crackers and water, and called it a day. That's not fasting to what Jesus did, okay? Jesus went 40 days without, and this wasn't unheard of. Moses did it, and so did Elijah. And he does it for 40 days, and maybe the 40 days is because it kind of draws a comparison to God's people in the Old Testament being 40 years in the wilderness waiting on the promised land. And then it says in text, he's with the wild animals. We skip over that, just like, okay, well, Jesus is out in the jungle. All right. No, he's got nothing. He's fasting for 40 days, wild animals around him. I want you to look at the imagery of he probably looks like a pretty good snack or prey. All right? So there's a couple breakdown there. And now I want to go to the next character of this text, Satan. The Gospel of Mark says Satan. The Gospel of Luke says the devil. But I like the definition of Satan better, being that the adversary. There's a couple facts you need to know about him. Number one, powerful angel. We know that from 2 Corinthians and 2 Thessalonians. Rules dark forces. We know that from Jude 6 and 2 Peter. Seeks to destroy God's church, 1 Peter 5. And under God's domain. We know that from Job. We could spend the entire service talking about Satan, but that's not the main point of today's sermon. So if you want to study it, I gave you some scriptures to go to to really study into that character. But the one of those four that I really need us to hit on for one second is under God's domain. Because when we see that, man, does that kind of get our intrigue spiked. Really? Under God's domain? Well, logically, if I believe that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and omnipresent can be anywhere at any time, then I have to believe that he has power over Satan. That's logic. But also, we know from Scripture, from the Job story that everybody loves, that God and Satan have this conversation. Satan tries to get into this, hey, your people, we don't care for you. And then, you know, have you considered your servant Job? And God's like, you know what? You can do whatever you want, but you cannot kill him. And Satan has to obey. And you might be like, well, geez, Chase, if, if, if Satan has to obey God, then why, why do we have this fallen world we have? Well, that would be the discussion of free will, and we don't have 100 years to debate that right now. So let's just take that for what it is, because that's what truth is. God gave us free will, and so the angels. That's how we know Satan fell. Obviously, angels had free will as well. But let's dive into the text this morning. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 3, says this. We're going to read the whole story, and then we're going to break it down. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. Verse 7, if you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Verse 9, and he took him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not 
put the Lord, your God, to the test. Three times Satan tempts Jesus. Three times. Let's break down number one. Luke chapter four, let's read verses three and four again. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Right here, Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. The dude is hungry. All right, let's be real. And all Satan says, dude, just turn this stone into bread, have some food. And we might be saying, hey, what's the big deal if Jesus actually does that? What's the big deal if Jesus literally takes the stone and turns it to bread? The Jewish people probably would have loved that story. Yeah, let me show you my power. Because the problem with the Jewish people at the time is they're saying, yeah, if Jesus is the Messiah, we're going to want this earthly king. We're going to want this guy that's going to raise us up as a nation, throw off Rome, be a world power. That's what we're wanting. But the problem is if Jesus does that, the problem we're going to have is with Hebrews. Because Hebrews tells us that Jesus suffered like we do. Because church, if we need to come to one common Knowledge about Jesus when he was born of the Virgin Mary, incarnate, he is fully man. And that's hard for us to understand. Because yes, he does have power through the Spirit. But Jesus suffered like we do. And we need to know that as we lead up to the cross and the tomb. Now, how does this relate to us? Like, what kind of temptation do we struggle with with this? First off, this is temptation number one. This is temptation of the flesh. Man, you're hungry? Get yourself some food. I'll be honest. Bread? Really? Come on. If I'm going to be tempted, throw me in a big ribeye. I'm serious. Throw me in that giant ribeye. Smother that in some compound butter. Mm-mm. Make that medium rare. If you don't like medium rare, get out. All right? Serious, maybe that's my temptation. Maybe that's my temptation of flesh. All right, I don't want to discriminate. So for the vegetarians in the room, I got your option too. All right, it's not a piece of lettuce. All right, all right so I got this awesome stack of brownies and an ice ice cream and then some, some chocolate drizzle. Two things I want to tell you. First off, that would be some temptation right there. I will tell you, I've been tempted by that myself. Secondly, if you've fasted for 40 days and this is your first decision to eat this, I'm just going to tell you, you have made a bad decision. That is not going to end well for you. Not that I'm speaking from experience about what you eat after you fast, but that's a bad call. But it's temptation of the flesh. Maybe that's some things that we struggle with with our eyes. Speaking of that, what are some other temptations of flesh that you, we might have? I don't know what they are. I only know what mine are. Maybe, maybe there's lustful desires, and that's the problem. And this is the first temptation that Satan hits Jesus with. But here's an important point to know. Jesus was physically empty, but spiritually full. I know that from the text. Luke says it. He's full of spirit. I want to point out something here. This is how, this is how Jesus handles temptation. How often are we the opposite? We enter temptation physically just stuffed, but spiritually completely empty. I think we do. 
And maybe that's the reason we struggle so much sometimes is because we don't have that spiritual fulfillment. The second temptation that Satan throws Jesus' way is this, starting in verse 5 of Luke 4. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be all yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only, him only shall you serve. Temptation number two that Satan's thrown Jesus' way is the temptation of desires. The temptations of desires. How we know this, Satan knows this. The desires of Jesus is to reconcile his people with God. That is what Jesus desires, to serve God's will. And what's funny is that Satan takes him up and they have this big vision of all, and maybe from the 10,000 foot view over Jerusalem, you see all the roads coming in from Asia Minor, the Roman Empire. All this could be yours. All this could be yours. I know what you want, Jesus. This could all be yours. Well, church, you might be saying, well, how does this relate to me? I don't struggle with this. I don't, I'm not here to reconcile God's people. Well, the same temptation we might face would be like this. Man, I just want to get away and go somewhere else. My, my heart desires to be anywhere else but Illinois. So maybe it's that dream vacation. Crystal blue waters. This is not my dream vacation, but maybe it's yours. Sitting in the sun. I'd be sitting on the umbrella. That's cool. Um, and just having a good time. Maybe that's your desire to be anywhere else but in this state. Somewhere where the taxes maybe are 3% instead of like 25. <laughs> From many people, I've heard Tennessee is nice. So <laughs> maybe that is your desire. I want to be anywhere else. Or maybe it's this. Maybe I just desire happiness and peace. I just want to be happy. Our tech team does a great job picking my photos out. Yeah, I just want to be happy. I just want happiness. And maybe you're saying, that's what I want in my family. I want peace in my family. I want peace in my household. All the moms in here said what? Yeah. Maybe that's what your desire is. Maybe that is your heart's desire. What happens here is this. Satan speaks to the heart, but Jesus' heart was set on God. He speaks to the heart of Christ, but his heart was set on God. And what I mean by that is this. Satan says to him, Jesus, you want all this? You want all authority and you want their glory? Hey, you know what? I'll give it to you. Because actually, it has been delivered to me and I give to whom I will. You know what's funny about this text? When you see Satan having this conversation with Jesus, and maybe you need to hear this this morning because maybe you've let something sink into your head that's not true. Satan is a liar. Because even though he says, yes, this has been delivered to me and I give to whom I will, what he's not saying is, hey, but that's not eternity. That's not eternity. I don't eternally have this. It's temporary. I'm running amok temporarily. My glory is going down faster than the Titanic, and I know it, and I want to take everyone with me I possibly can. He's a liar. Church, Satan will twist our desire. 
Because put yourself in Jesus' sandals for one second. What Satan's really saying is, hey, don't worry about the cross. No need for that. No need for you to go through the mockery, the beating, the shame. We're all going to talk about that in a couple weeks. We don't need to go through that. I'll give you everything right now. You want it? Here you go. And then here comes the nerve. It is given to me and I will give to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Jesus' heart was set on God and nothing else was taken that place. He was spiritually full and his heart was set on God. That's how he started battling the first two temptations. Do we battle that way? The third temptation that Satan uses. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him up on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put your Lord God to the test. Temptation number three, Satan throws down the gauntlet. You say you're the son of God? You think you're that. You say you're that. Prove it to these people. Let me tempt you with position. You say this is who you are. And for us in this room, how, how do we, what, what temptation might be ours that we face is the temptation of pride. I call it pride man. I got pride man? Yeah, pride man. All right, this is not me. Somebody said that earlier. I was offended. All right, we, we, we really do think that we're all that in a bag of chips. We don't think we have flaws. We can do anything we want. And Satan hits Jesus with this and says, hey, do this. One thing that's funny about Satan, in that text, as we read that, for it is concerning you, angels will guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. What's funny about that? Satan is actually speaking scripture. That is Psalms. What's funny about that is even Satan knows how to use eisegesis. And let me explain that big word that you might not have heard before. There's two ways to read scripture. Exegesis means I read the whole thing. I take it all in context. Eisegesis means I pluck out one verse and I make me feel good with it. Philippians 4.13, anybody? I'm serious. Satan knows how to read the Bible too. And Jesus just responds with this. He just responds with, and Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put your Lord God to the test. When I read that in my own chaseism, as I say, all right, Jesus pretty much throat punched him. That's what that says. No, you will not put God to the test. Absolutely not. The line has been drawn. Don't test me. So let's recap. Temptation of the flesh, temptation of desires, and temptation of position. These are all three things that Satan throws at Jesus. And we see him stand firm. By the way, fasted for 40 days, full of the Spirit. He was spiritually full. His heart was set on God. What's funny about this to me is um, 
You know, I'm not as good as Pastor Nate with the pop culture references. They just come naturally to him. He's pretty hip like that. So as I was doing my research, trying to think, okay, what in the world can I use for this? So, you know, you just Google temptation, let the Google machine tell you what to do. It comes up, and all of a sudden, the 2000s and, you know, and this generation as well, reality TV has been huge. And maybe you saw commercials for it on USA, but there was this show called Temptation Island. Let me give you the synopsis of this show. It's for couples that were not married yet, maybe engaged or wanting to get married, and they go to this island, and they said, all right, you're going to split up by gender, we're going to put you with a bunch of single people, and let's see how committed you really are. I'm serious, that's a real life show, all right? You thought love after lockup was bad, this was, this was it, all right? So what I'm saying, church, is we have a bunch of trash out there that we put in our minds. And we watch it because we want to see people's reactions and what really happens, and we get caught up in the drama of it. But the premise of that show, it speaks to the heart of us sometimes because we really are that ignorant. I'm serious. We will walk into that temptation. Oh, no, it's all right. It's all right situation. Let me tell you, out of all the couples I've done premarital counseling with, I have never recommended them doing something like that. <laughs> There's something to be said about fleeing from temptation. There's something to be said about that. But guys, we fill our hearts and our minds with that. And don't get me wrong, I love, the, I love some good shows. I'm a huge Survivor fan. Anybody else? I know that was like so 1999, but whatever. Uh, but I'm a huge Survivor fan. And I'll be honest, I don't root for the normal person. I root for the 73-year-old grandma. I really do. I root for the person that doesn't win one single challenge but has this awesome heart. I do sometimes. And we get caught up in those things. The culture of it. Fill our minds with it. I prefer how Matthew ends the story of the temptations of Jesus. And he says this way. Matthew writes it this. Then Jesus said to him, in Matthew 4, starting verse 10, Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. I want you to hear something that I absolutely love about this text. Now, I need you to hear the disclaimer. This is Chase's opinion, all right? I don't, I don't believe that Jesus knew that the angels were going to come to him and minister to him. I do know this. This happens one other time in Scripture and happens in the Garden of Gethsemane before Jesus is going to go to the cross. What I love about this text is what I see is God moving and God's saying, hey, you're with me, and I want to do everything I can to help you. I'm sending them to you. Because you're standing firm, and I know you're hurting, and I'm going to help you. I don't believe Jesus knew that this was going to happen. However, I might get to heaven, Jesus might be like, Chase, you were wrong. And I'm like, all right, my bad, all right? But this is my opinion. But I know that this happens here, and it also happens at the garden. Jesus was weak at this point, 40 days of fasting, held though he was full of the Spirit. And then he's at the garden in a couple weeks, and I don't want to steal somebody else's thunder, as he's getting ready to go to the pinnacle of the gospel, which is the cross and the tomb. And then they show up again. What I'm telling you is this, church, God shows an example of, hey, 
You're not in this alone. Jesus walked through the same steps we do to show us that the God we serve, the God we serve loved us so much that he said, hey, I'm laying it all on the line for you. I'm sending my son to die on the tree. That's what he's doing here. So when we think about it, I want to retract again, rewind. What are you struggling with? Is it temptation of the flesh? Is it a temptation of your desire? Or is it a temptation of position or pride? And let's be honest. As we look at these, we've had a, a whole year. We're now at a year mark, everybody. A year mark of the world we live in being a little bit different. And I think something that we've learned in that year mark is, man, we don't have as good as attitudes as we thought we did. We don't have near the patience we might have thought we do. We might not have the, the most spiritual grounding that we do. Because I want to give you a secret. I want to tell you something this morning, and I want you to hear me on this. Satan is trying to get Jesus just to commit sin. So, yep, you are flawed. You can't be the Messiah. That's what Satan's trying to do here. That's the overarching theme. Church, if sin didn't feel good, people wouldn't do it. Now, I want you to hear me on that. Yes, sin feels good in the moment. I'm not kidding. I'll be honest. It feels good to be like, man, I don't have the thousands of dollars spent on vacation, but man, it feels good to be here on the beach. I'm serious, it does. I don't have all this money to spend on this, but I'm not going to be a good steward, but man, I'm going to do it because it feels good. I don't need to eat the 32-ounce porterhouse steak challenge, but man, it's delicious. That's a double. Not only is that sin in the flesh, but it's my pride. I can finish that and get it for free. Yeah. Then we justify it. We're being good stewards of our money that way. <laughs> so when we talk about this, when we talk about sin, I have to ask ourselves this question. What does our heart desire? What does our heart desire? We talk about vacations. We talk about happiness. We talk about, you know, food. You know, lustful desires, whatever it is. What does our heart desire? Because church, the thing is, you might desire something that's good. For example, there's nothing wrong with happiness in your family. There's nothing wrong with having happiness. Family's a great thing. God's in on that. There's nothing wrong with having success. There's nothing wrong with working your butt off to make sure that you have all that you want. There's nothing wrong with that drive. There's nothing wrong with three-a-day practices and making sure the best team possible. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with wanting to see your children grow up and have all that you never had. There's nothing wrong with that. But here's the problem. When we take something that's good and we say it's replaced God, which is number one, we've missed the mark. We've missed the point. Yes, your family can be a sin. Yes, your success can be sinful. Yes, your money can be sinful if we allow it to be. 
If you've put it before God, I don't care what it is, it's sin. So what does our heart desire? Because what our heart should desire is to be spiritually full. That's what our heart should desire. We should want to pour into the word of God. Spend time in prayer. Jump into just community and say, hey, how are we doing this together? Talking about what a relationship with Christ looks like. Because your other option is this. Either you're saying, yes, I'm committing to be spiritually full, or you're believing the lies that Satan has given you. Because maybe your lie is this. You'll never have enough. you got to keep working harder. You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to be good enough for God. My favorite lie. It's my favorite. Here it is. You've sinned too much and God does not want you. Let me tell you about that lie for a second. The problem with that lie, that is nowhere in this text that God gave us. Nowhere is that in this text of, hey, you know what? You sinned 40 times today. God is done with you. You know what is in this text? I don't care what ensnarement you come into. I don't care how far down you go. You call on my name. I am coming. I'm coming. If we have that yearning for God, man, that's awesome. And maybe today I want to talk about this for a second. Ephesians 5, this, Paul puts it a better way this way. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 11, Take no part in the unfruitful works of the darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ shall shine upon you. Maybe you're caught up in sin. I've been there, telling you right now, preachers aren't sinless. Struggle with things all the time. I don't know what your sin is, I do know what mine is. But I can tell you this, I have close people in my life that know my sins. I do that for one reason, because I am way too prideful of an individual to make sure I go to the foot of the cross when I need to all the time. So what I'm telling you first is if you're caught up in sin, you've got to talk to somebody else to hold you accountable. So guess what? Life groups is a great way to do that. If you're not in one, find this guy. I'll put you in one. Yep, shameless plug for what I do here. Love it. Moving on. Maybe you, go, maybe you can't be in a life group this week, but you need to talk to somebody. That's great. Find a brother and sister in Christ. Say, hey, here's what I'm struggling with. Work on this with me. Pray with me. And if you're that brother and sister somebody comes to, you don't have to have the answers. Here's the smartest thing you can possibly say. Can we just pray? The smartest answer. Can we just pray? Maybe you're like, dude, this guy's talking about something and I have no idea what he's talking about because I don't even know who Jesus is. I'm going to tell you right now in the room, from me to you, that's okay. But I want you to know from me to you is this. I don't want you to go another day with feeling the weight of the world, the pressures of sin, when you can have the thought and just the glory of what eternity would look like with the Father. If that's you this morning, you know, I need to know who this Jesus is. I want to know what this looks like because I need to fight off some things that I'm battling right now. 
find Pastor Nate, find myself, find Pastor Dan, find Pastor Kevin, find one of us on staff. We want to talk to you. Lastly, maybe you're asking, hey, Chase, I, I, I get it. Satan's been lying to me. What can I do? How can I fight this off? We saw Jesus do it a couple ways. Spiritually full, heart set on God. Last thing is this. James chapter 4, verse 7 says this. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We've called this sermon series The Road. Literally, we're walking on some roads that Jesus walked on. The road to the wilderness, the road to the Jordan, the road to Jerusalem. But the subtitle of this sermon series has been The Path to Redemption. It is not the redemption of Christ. It is the redemption of us that comes through Christ. That's what this Easter series is all about. And what I want you to know from the last two weeks, as Pastor Nate did great last week, Jesus was ordained as the Messiah to do this ministry. This week it is this. Jesus walked in the same steps that we do, faced the same pressures we do. Here was the only difference. Only difference. He was full of the Spirit, physically empty, and his heart was fully set on God. Let's make that our prayer. Let's make that our ambition. Let's make that our mission. The last song that we're going to do, our creative arts team does a great job picking songs out. There's a victory. This song has the dichotomy of the enemy and God in it. Sing this as your heart's desire this morning. But before we do that, let's pray. God, we're so thankful we can gather in your house. God, as we just talk about one of the hardest moments in the walk of Christ, as he is face to face with the adversary, we see something that's awesome. What we see that's awesome is this. Satan comes face to face with the glory of your son and he knows he is no match. God, may we remember that sin is no match for your grace and your glory. No matter what we go through, God, we pour out our hearts to you. God, we lift up our nation to you. We lift up our church to you, our communities of believers that honestly have struggled in sin because it's what it is. May we have a renewed vision. May we have a renewed spirit. May we be full of the Holy Spirit. And may we move in a way that just changes the world for you and your glory. May we do what we're called to do. May we stand firm as Christ did. As we continue walking this road in the coming weeks to see the fulfillment of redemption that is through the blood of the Lamb, we pray that for ourselves. We thank you for all that you do for us. All the things that we've been given, all the blessings we have. We're truly undeserving of your grace, but you give it anyway. Pray us all in your name. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.